Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Mangum Talks TV. I am Lee. I am here. I am joined by Spencer. Spencer, say hey to the people. Hey, everybody. We are in episode four of our review of HBO Succession. This is called Sad Sack Wasp Trap. Quite a so, mouthful. Yeah, say that three times fast. Uh, and before we get going on this, do a quick plug for Mangum Reads. I know that podcast feed has a lot of stuff going on. Uh, well, Mangum Reads has been busy. We've been going through um, a wonderful post-apocalyptic story by the name of Station Eleven, uh, by, and then which we're just finished up our third episode on in terms of discussing uh, themes and greater world building. We also have been doing a podcast which has proven quite popular, entitled Pottering Around, as we're going chapter by chapter through the first book of Harry Potter. And if we continue to enjoy it and people continue to like it, through the rest of the series in about, I don't know, three, four years' time. Yeah, we'll but probably probably take that long. I have no concept of how many books or chapters there are. Again, my prior knowledge of this entire series has been reserved to one and a half films, and I don't really remember the one film. So I'm going in blind, and I'm still quite enjoying this, despite the fact I'm about 25 years late. Uh, and uh, yeah, join us, and hope you'll enjoy it too. Are you really enjoying it, or are you just being nice to Sarah? I'm actually really enjoying this. I was kind of surprised how well this, this would hold up as an adult um, reading it, but she has a remarkable degree of charm and wit. You just feel happy reading through this. There's an element of nostalgia put into it that I didn't even get to experience because it just resonates so well with those childhood themes. Okay. All right. Well, let's get going on our review of HBO Succession, Episode 4, Sad Sack Wash Trap. I have something to admit to the listeners. Spencer, you are acutely aware of this. Uh-huh. Uh, this podcast is late because we have already recorded it, and I have already lost my audio file. So, greatest podcast of all time. I mean, for, I mean, obviously. No. Yeah, um, we, we, lost we pr- to another timeline. We proved this with Game of Thrones. The episodes that we lost were just world-changing. I mean, I can't even fully express the quality that we were able to bring to bear that we never were able to rise to again. And you have to be like, every time I'm like, Spencer, I lost the file, you have to be like, BJ wouldn't have done this. <laughs> no, no. My default reaction whenever you lose a file is to think, okay, has he already bought a new computer yet? That's true. Yeah, I did lose, I did lose <laughs> one. Ep- we did one episode twice. I lost both of them. And then in a fit of rage, as I covered on Whiskey on the Weekends, another podcast on the Mango Talks podcast channel, I went and bought a new computer, which I'm using right now. Um, but anyway, we're going to go through it again. Why? Because we're professionals. That's why we're here for the people. Mm-hmm. Spencer, anything you want to say about this episode sort of overall before we jump into the recap? Uh, I feel like this is one of those driving force episodes that is really going to kind of frame where the plot is going as we start get the inklings of a coup beginning to build or at least paranoia about a coup continuing to build and how it may even play out in terms of where the various parties would lie. So this seems like a really important episode of painting the rest of the season. And it was a delight to watch these incredibly dysfunctional people interact in front of others now. Completely agree. Okay, we open with Logan. He's doing rehab. Uh, just to bring you up to speed, Logan had a stroke in the first episode. He's still trying to get back to normal. Um, the home health lady tells him he's doing a good job. And great patient that he is. Goes, don't patronize me. Walking's not good. It's fucking normal. <laughs> I love that quote so much. That is such a Logan line right there. God, no. Such a pain in the ass patient. It really also says that, you know, as old as he is, this is all very much new to him in terms of having to deal with that home health. These doesn't in any way suggest that these were prior people that used to support him around the house. This is an uncomfortable thing that's been forced upon him, and he's just not happy with it. Well, I think in, in some ways it's the writer showing us that he's still a very, very proud man despite being 80 years old. And that comes up later. Uh, yeah. In the and we also get to see very much of, I think this is one of our real honest insights into Logan and Marsha's relationship. And again, just demonstrating how much they are equals. Because she is just delightful in this scene and messing with him. God, you have such a crush on Marsha. 
She's a Mark? wonderful character. I'm really enjoying what, the, what, what, the, what they've done with this character so far. And this scene just starts off what makes for a wonderful episode for her. That's not what I said. I said you had a crush on her. And I'm not answering that question. <laughs> I'm being the Elizabeth Warren of this particular podcast right now. Whoa, look at that. Topical. Yeah. Uh, we give <laughs> Marsha uh, tells him uh, a great, great quote here as Logan uh, says he's tired and he needs to sit down. Logan, if you aren't well enough for the charity dinner, I maybe go with this handsome young man. <laughs> great line it works though because logan keeps walking yeah um, in part because logan that guy's eventually... in part because that guy hangs around him for the rest of the episode he's his main aid worker <laughs> i know uh logan then asks for the music to be turned off it's kind of weird music they're playing and he has this great line it's like being inside a fucking commercial uh martha martha uh, marcia says okay fine and she puts the speaker just out of reach and tells him to turn it off himself and she just walks out of the room and Logan, he just—he doesn't seem surprised by this move. He wants to know where the fuck is she going. Like, yeah, it's one of the things where if that line was just you know out there without any context, I would assume it would come across as flabbergasted. But he doesn't seem confused by this. Like it's something new. It's just like he honestly wants to know where she's going right now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, then we get the opening credits. Mm-hmm. And Kendall was on a plane afterwards going over his speech for the charity dinner. It, this seems like a family that never flies anything but private. Am I right about that? Uh, I don't want to know what this family's carbon footprint is. It's probably colossal. But yeah, I don't think we've ever seen them at any point even, you know, stooping to fly first class. No, I think they actually have their own private jets. At least it seems that way. He gets off uh, this, the, um, the plane after looking over his notes for the big speech for the charity dinner, which we'll talk about here in a minute, mm-hmm. hops into a limo and calls Rava um, and Whoa. asks if she is going to the charity dinner. Yeah, and he's wearing a Volter hat when he does this, which just adds to the douche effect. Oh, gosh, yeah, Volter. <laughs> he's proud of his investment, sir. Yeah. Um, and as he's talking to Rava, this is something that I don't know if you had the same sort of experience with it. Uh, but it seems clear to me that he got voicemail, but it's not clear when he first starts talking. Yeah, it isn't at first. I almost thought like he's talking back and forth. And then he realized that, no, he's talking a lot and we're not hearing anything coming through the line. <laughs> yeah. So he got voicemail. It's clear that Rava's likely not going to this thing. Not a good sign for Kendall and Rava's relationship, which seemed to be pretty much over anyway. Kendall sees a report that the U.S. economy is doing pretty well. That's his backdrop and insane. Mm-hmm. Kendall walks into the Raystar Worker offices and he asks, he's asked how L.A. was. So there we go. We figure out it's L.A. He has a great line here. Kendall doesn't have a lot of great lines, but sometimes he's low-key funny. He says, great. They're all fucking nuts. But great. <laughs> do, do we know what he was in L.A. for? Because uh, some period of time has jumped between episodes here, and I don't think they ever told us why you went out to L.A. No, they didn't. And I think that's by design. I mean, he's, he still is a, a very high officer um, in the company. I'm sure he was just out there on business. You know, I would bet probably at Valter, and that's probably where he got the hat. Yeah. Um, then he starts talking to um, Jerry about how his speech is going. He says he's going to do some jokes. Jerry, you're going to do a joke? <laughs> <laughs> and I love this as a repeated motif throughout the episode. Of just when The moment that he says you can try humor, everyone just stops and went, really? That? Okay. Sure. Yeah, he's clearly perturbed by that feedback. Uh, then Kendall sees his dad is in the office, and he uh-huh. kind of freaks out. Uh, and he asked Jerry if she knew. And, and she, I, I don't, this is something that comes up in these episodes, especially these early ones. 
they just look at Jerry like Jerry should be the one in charge. And she's just like, what am I supposed to do? Like, he owns the company. Like, well, he doesn't really own the company, but he, he, he's the president of the company. Like, I, I'm chief general counsel. I can't tell him when to come in the office and what not to. It, it really does show a certain kind of respect that they have for Jerry. I don't think these guys fully respect anyone around them, particularly people that work for them. But at any point that they want to know something, at any point they want something done, their first thought is, okay, I'll turn to Jerry. Jerry knows what's going on and Jerry can fix this. Which really just yeah. showed what, what, how high a stead they keep her. Yeah, but she can't fix this, obviously. It's Logan. Um, Nothing can fix Logan. Yeah, she's like, what do I make the fucking rules around here? Come on, Kendall. Uh, Kendall nervously says he'll go talk to his dad. Cut to Roman, my man Roman. He's looking at himself in the mirror in a bathroom. It looks like this is his, one of his homes. And Grace walks in, tries to start a little physical contact. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, And Roman shuts it down by complaining that, look, basically, I've got five bathrooms in this apartment. What's the point of it if we're going to use the same one? Which he clearly doesn't understand intimacy. Um, (laughs) And then he explains, look, you being here uh, means he can't, he's like, I can't fart. I'm physically not farting right now because you're here. Um, and she storms off. <laughs> Which may be my, my second favorite line of the episode for Roman. And it's a tough race this time for lines of the episode. But it's just, he's such a weird person. I mean, A, we also learn again just how filthy rich this family is. Because apparently this apartment, which I'm assuming is in downtown Manhattan, yep. are, is has five bathrooms. Which And this is an also-ran for the properties. I mean, this is where, this is just one of the homes of like the second most important son. Yeah. <laughs> lives. And it's probably several thousand square feet. Just like, what? How? Uh, And also just, again, I don't fully get how relationships or intimacy or affection works for Roman. But it's clearly not on any wavelength that I am. No. And that, that, spoiler alert, that gets picked at, that scab. So I'm I'm interested to hear your thoughts as we learn a little bit more about his kind of psychology. Hmm. Um, Cut to Shib and Tom. Uh, she's asking Tom if the seating for the gala is fine by him. She makes this offhanded comment. It's the same as last year. I thought it was a really interesting moment because Tim, Tom then has to explain to her that he didn't go last year. And she legitimately, A, d- does not believe him, but B, thinks and assumes he's wrong that he wasn't there. Where she starts really putting him to task, but no, of course you were there. And he has to defend himself that no, this life-changing event was not something that was part of my history. God, Shib just sucks. It almost surprises me how much she does. I had greater hope for her, and even her and Tom's relationship, but she really does not view him as an independent human. No, no, he's a little pet. Um, Tom finally gives us the name of this coming charity event, which I guess is going to be the culmination of this episode. It's called the Roy Endowment Creative New York Ball. That is called Reckney. The Reckney Ball, Spencer. You know... I did not pick up on that when this episode, when I first watched this episode, didn't even necessarily realize it halfway through the podcast. I really appreciate you pointing me out, pointing that at me. That's just funny. Rickney Ball, man, on the nose with the writing staff. Um, Tom said he grew up dreaming of going to this thing. He said he, he, uh, you know, read about it and looked at photos of it in his mother's Vanity Fairs. Shim laughs at that, which is not a good look because he's he's actually opening up. He's saying like this this is kind of like a big thing for me, and she just kind of giggles like, yeah, yeah, who gives a shit. Um, Roman calls Shib and oh boy, we have a situation. <laughs> There's uh, Roman is Roman is in a limo and he's got a laptop that he's moving around and he says it just keeps following me as I move, move the picture. <laughs> the Mona Lisa and this. Uh, apparently ATN has a picture of a uh, 
the a body husband, part. an intimate a, part of his body, intimate part of his body, of a ship's current client, which is someone running for U.S. Senate, her husband's asshole. <laughs> Ship uh, says, "What? Fuck off! Can you prove that?" Uh, the family motto, by the way, of the the Roy family crest: "Fuck off." Yeah, that's, that's their house words. <laughs> Uh, and, and I just love the line from Roman here in response to this is that he posted himself with the caption, check out my asshole. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, uh, what damage him? What check damage can my asshole? I mean, you're, you're a prior political wonk. You still maintain a certain interest in politics. If you were running somebody's campaign, how would you fix that if you were in Shiv's situation? Uh, it dep- I mean, if the person is willing to separate from their husband, then that's the right move. Because then you're completely distanced from it. Let's assume no. Uh, well, then I think you're fucked. <laughs> is the technical term. Uh, particularly <laughs> with where the uh, check out my asshole was posted. What site was it on again? A website named Filthy Rich. That just adds to it perfectly. <laughs> God. You know what? You know what? I, like, I just really wish that this situation had happened in real life and Bernie Sanders had had to comment on it. <laughs> Grumpy oh, Bernie having to answer a question about a like his opponent's husband's asshole. <laughs> I mean, as he famously said about Hillary's tax records, I think he'd publicly say, I don't give a damn about his asshole. Something like that. Yeah, he would be so grumpy about having to answer that question. Shib asks if they're going to run it, and uh, Roman delivers a potential Roman line of the episode. It's dirty, it's weird, and it's evidence of precisely the kind of disgusting liberal metro butt love that makes our viewership angry enough to buy pharmaceuticals. Oh, sorry. Hil- Hillary's servers bespoke on that one. It's combining taxes. You know what I mean. But yes, yeah, yeah, wonderful yeah. quote from Roman. It's okay. I'm not... I'm not I don't have the pitchforks out against everybody who speaks against Hillary anymore. I've, I've put those away. You don't have to be on edge. Time has passed. But I wanted to correct myself. But it's, yeah, it's just, that is such a wonderfully accurate summary of how the news works. That it's just like, no, this is exactly what our Fox News equivalent is going to run with forever. Liberal Metro butt love that makes our viewership angry enough to buy pharmaceuticals. God, whoever writes for Roman is just a fucking nut job. Yeah. Shout out to that person. Cut to the ATN control room. They're trying to figure out how to run the thing. Yeah. Um, they, they don't even know how to it. introduce the picture, how to reference it, right? And you referenced this quote earlier. The private part of his body? No, that sounds like a dick. Anus? Anus? At breakfast? At, what she what she say? It's a wonderful line. She says, I don't, I don't, I don't remember it. It's a fucking juice dropper. <laughs> I love that line. That's such a great way to put that. <laughs> oh, very funny. This producer, whose name is Ava... Uh, she clearly controls the uh, the, the control room. Um, then ask if the woman anchor is getting enough sleep, or if she is, if she's sleeping on her face. Oh, yeah, it's tough. Oh, it's tough. And you know, and this is obviously meant to be a fictional, you know, station that is is based on Fox News. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I mean, I think that the the implication there is that when you have a news organization that has these sort of values, that there's probably some level of misogyny that's allowed in the company. And I think Ava's perpetuating that there. And you know, it continues with her next line of when the male anchor ha- asks how he looks. FIA, fuckable in an emergency. Haven't heard that one before. FIE, FIE, but yeah, that, that's oh, yeah, a new yeah, one yeah, on me. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, anyway, you can put that in your repertoire. <laughs> I'll ever say that ever but it was funny hearing it please please one day that we just randomly go to dinner and i ask how i look just tell me 
No, good talk. Uh, we cut to Kendall, who's uh, talking to Logan, whose speech is very slurred. So Logan's still really not recovered yet. I mean, he's making gains, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but Logan said he came back to make sure Kendall isn't selling more of the company out from under him. Kendall fires back at him. A little bit of a little bit of fire in his gut here. He points out that all the debt that Logan took on is the reason that he had to kind of take the step. And the step is he had to sell part of the company to Stewie. Yeah. And... Credit to Kindle. He legitimately tries to defend himself here for a minute. I don't think we've really seen him kind of actually defend his actions and defend what he's done to try to protect this company. But he does, and it's good on him. I think Kindle is getting too much attack from his dad for this decision when I don't know what viable alternatives he had at that moment. Yeah, he really didn't. I mean, he put him in a tough situation. Uh, you know, and obviously, I mean, the stock wouldn't have dipped if Logan didn't have the, the stroke. Or so Logan was not. Yeah, Logan would never have had to deal with this situation, right? Yeah. So I don't think he even has that much sympathy for him. No, and of course, legitimately, Kendall did also shift the bed with respect to his actions in helping drive down the stock price. But once he was at that point, which he can't help that he's Kendall and will do those things, he didn't have a, a, anything else he could reasonably do. He doesn't have his dad's cachet to just say, I'm the biggest dick in the room and you will do what I say. Yeah, you're right. Kendall literally did shit the bed there. Mm. Um, Logan doesn't look good here, and Kendall advises him to get a brief and get some rest. Mm-hmm. Uh, Logan calls for the wheelchair to take a leak. Uh, Kendall goes into his office, calls Roman, very half-heartedly says it's a good thing that Logan is back. Roman suggests that Kendall would like it if Logan's brain fell out the back of his head. Uh, very articulate there. <laughs> Kendall says he's just scared, and Roman hits him with, you're scared? You're scared he's going to push you out. Your plan's for, you know uber for news and facebook for cats and open plan office you on a dance platform jerking off idea goop into think boxes i gotta go <laughs> i love the, i love that it legitimately sounds like roman gets lost in his insults he where he's just a, he's just a size imagination wanna, dude oh yeah oh my god i don't want to spend a second in that man's mind because it just goes places here you though on a dance platform jerking off idea goop into think boxes <laughs> Here, though, what would be a delightful continual train of thought is stopped cold by what Roman finds in his office. Yeah, Roman's villain, the dreaded Frank. Bum, bum, bum. The adult's back in the room. Frank is in the office. Roman immediately establishes that he hates Frank. Uh, and Frank says he's back, and Logan asked him to come. Uh, from Roman, oh, the fucking the weasel prevails. Do we know why exactly he hates Frank, other than that Frank was under, like, kind of, sort of, semi-in-co-command with him in studios and probably told him not to do dumb things? Yeah, so we do know, um, and I think this has been covered. I think it gets reiterated later, but I don't think this is a spoiler. Uh, He was in, he was, like, number two in command under Frank. He was supposed to learn from Frank Mm -hmm. uh, when, when Frank was out in L.A. running studios. And every idea that um or at least roman says every idea that he has uh frank killed it and you know roman considers himself a creative person i mean you don't you don't come up with you on a dance platform jerking off idea goop into think boxes if you're not a creative person Mm -hmm. and he felt creatively stifled by that and condescended to so ipso facto hates fucking frank and that has clearly not diminished through the present uh and this is interesting i started the quote earlier Mm. um Oh, fucking the weevil pre- weasel prevails. A good name for your autobiography. They did books by jerks. God, you're pathetic. Again, he gets lost in its insults, and it's just adorable. <laughs> and also, the more mad he gets, the yeah. worse they are. It, 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 yeah, the, the greater his anger increases, the more childish they go. Uh, Frank says Logan wants Tim 
wants Frank to teach him. Um, and Roman uh, is just fired up. I mean, this is the reason he hated Frank to begin with, is that his dad put him in that position. Um, anything else on this scene before we move on? Uh, one of my favorite lines, because I fully believe that Roman's just not exaggerating this at all, is when Frank says, well, he apologized. Sure, man. He didn't apologize when he hit our up pair with his car. He, he said it was her fault for being too short. It's just, I don't imagine <laughs> Roman's making that up. Logan probably did that. I 100% believe Logan did that. 100 um, percent we got to shib who's talking to her senatorial candidate client about her husband's picture and shib is trying to get a handle on what went up there it's kind of a weird question to be asking right like i mean i can understand asking like okay what's the scope of this has he was he been on other websites were there other pictures why is she asking what he put up his butt like i don't understand why she's asking that question I mean, it's, the only way I can understand this is there was a series of pictures that just led to further things happening with the uh, subject private body part, but we don't have any idea that that was the case. As far as we know, it was just one picture, but now she's asking about whether it was a finger or a fist, or I think, if I got this written down right, a dildo shaped like Richard Nixon? It's just like, <laughs> Shiv, why are you going here? That is so weird. Um, the candidate snaps and says, a man wouldn't be getting this. Okay, Spencer. Uh, is that true? No, not at all. Just, no. I, I get that this is a, an effective defense to fall back to for a lot of things that happen with respect to politics and the media, and it's true in a lot of cases, but this? No, no. They would run run with this to high heaven. Oh, yeah. I mean, it would maybe even be worse for a male candidate simply because of, the, like, you know, obviously objectification of women that we do with, like, you know, the internet. Yeah, and I... Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's one of the things that were, he would be asked to defend his wife's decision-making as if he was, if she was, like, under his command and it was his fault that she'd done it. Whereas in this, it's more of an independence thing. I don't know. Either way, they would run with it in the media. So she's entirely off base with this one. Yeah, very wrong. She's just, just clearly lashing out. Um, Shib says it's not going away. She needs to get more details from her husband. The candidate blames ATN and says Shib needs to talk to her father. Now, I bet Shib gets that shit a lot in her line of work. She works for Democrats. She works for Democrats, and it's one of those things that where this is just me speculating, but I'd almost assume that one of the contributing factors for getting this job was because of that connection and in. That they almost worked on the assumption that, well, she gives me an in in this hostile media organization that I can use in the future. Yeah, I think so. Uh, we cut to the preparations for the gala, and Connor, who is, Connor is um, Logan's first son by a different marriage. Mm-hmm. Substantially Trump situ- older. Trump situation here. Mm-hmm. Uh, Connor clearly has the responsibility for putting all this together. Which now mm-hmm. it, it, it it's interesting to me because I I would assume that Marsha normally would be a, the person doing this, but Marsha is clearly having an active role in Logan's recovery, and that I think is why Connor seems like he's never been there before with this type of thing, right? Yeah, like he's he's like running around kind of like really frantic and manic about it because I think it's his one big shot because he normally would not be put in charge of this. And that just shows you where on the totem pole Connor is in this family that uh, he had to get like he had to come off the bench to help plan a dinner. Yeah, it's one of the things where if you want to debate where he is in the totem pole, he's not even in the same room as the totem pole. He is on voluntary exile from this family. And this is his first little hint of a light to get back in. And he is just seizing upon it and going insane trying to make it work. Yeah, and he's kind of nuts. He likens the seating plan to fixing the Middle East. Um, (laughs) 
which, you know, obviously in the, the podcast that we recorded that has lost the time now, the greatest podcast ever recorded by two humans, um, you made the point, and I'll make it for you here. Um, why is he referencing political things here? Like, <laughs> what kind of delusions of grandeur does this fucking asshole have? But it's the start of just a series of, you know, if I can do this, the Middle East is nothing to me. This is my Napoleon moment. You know, I want to change the focus of the event to be focused around poverty issues. It's like, is he trying to use this as a platform? Is he trying to get public now, you know, public attention from doing this for the purpose of politics? I kind of think so. And that's now, Spencer, you thought. have not. You have not watched ahead, have you? You've yeah. you've seen episode four and five, right? I've seen the, the Thanksgiving disaster that is five, but as far as I've gotten. Okay, good. All right, just just want to establish that for the listeners who have uh, and, watched ahead. And I pointed out last time we did this, but credit to you to deduce that about Marship, because I'm pretty sure in the post episode they actually say that was part of the, that, that that was their thought about what was happening. So very well deduced on your part. Thank you. I, uh, as you might imagine, uh, how I get in rabbit holes with these shows, I've watched this episode more than a couple times. Um, <laughs> Fair. Back to Race Star Headquarters and Bill, uh, former director of the Parks Department, is having his going away party. Everyone loves Bill. Bill is just so awesome. I mean, Bill is like, what is the quote? Uh, I got it written down. Mandela fucked Santa and gave birth to Bill. <laughs> yeah, that was a that was a solid one there from Tom. Mm. Um, then uh, Bill comes up and Tom, I love the actor. I has the serious voice. Oh, no problem, Bill. Okay, Bill. <laughs> I just want to inspire the same loyalty as you, Bill. Tom, Tom, in a show of fake people, Tom just invents whole new realms of fakeness. Now, Spencer, you have a job where you probably have to have some adversarial, not maybe not adversarial, but at least like, yeah, well, let's call it adversarial conversations in the course of your work, right? Where you're talking to other counsel. Absolutely. Negotiating on behalf of your client. Now, do you, have you ever done this move? Tom does it. Uh, and as soon as you notice it, you, you can't unnotice it. Have you ever done this super like microaggression where if you're in a conversation with somebody, you're trying to big boy, you use their name over and over again? You know, I actually catch myself doing that on occasion, and it is a really good strategy to try to knock them down a little bit. It's like you're almost like the teacher at the lectern calling them out each time you're doing it. Look now, now look, Bill. You know this, and Bill. I mean, come on, come on, Bill. Like, I mean, you just—that's what yeah. he's doing here because he's trying to establish some level of dominance, which he's not going to be able to do because Tom, <laughs> uh, Bill, has more important things to talk to Tom about. Yeah, Tom has no clue what conversation they're about to have right now. So Bill dismisses Greg uh, just to talk to Tom, and uh, Bill goes on to explain he's turned off the Wi-Fi. Um, he's got an air-gapped computer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he is going to print out something for Tom because he doesn't want his handwriting on it. At which point in this conversation would you, if you were in Tom's shoes, realize, okay, I'm about to find out something that will probably permanently alter my life. I, I'll tell you two things. I'll tell you what I'd like to think I would do and what I really would do. Mm-hmm. What I like to think I would do is I would say, I'm going to stop you right there, Bill. Because if you feel the need to bring out an air gap computer to type something to me because you don't want your hand you know handwriting on it i don't think i want to know it and if i find it out i want to at least make sure counsel is here what i really would do is sit there sputter be confused <laughs> just like tom and then eventually get the information and read it so that's what that's exactly what oh happened. you are channeling me sir that is absolutely what happened i would just have these grandiose ideas about how i would defend my own interests and speak for the good of the corporate protection and in reality would just be utterly dumbfounded so he get, Bill gives Tom 
a number of a set of storage files in the depository, as opposed to just where they keep their hard records as a company. Uh, he writes down the name of a legal office, the intermediary, and the person outside the firm they've been using as a firewall to deal with the blowback of the NDAs. I'm going to come back to that. None of these are good words. None of these no. are good legal words. <laughs> so good. Um, not a lawyer here. I'm going to do the cable news things. Not a lawyer here, but that doesn't sound good. Tom asks what's going on, and Bill says it's, uh, it's do or die time. Uh, basically, it's it's fine. Um, you, you know, you, you cannot find out, and that's fine. Uh, or you can find out. Uh, and as long as you just keep the nuclear rods cool, everything is fine. <laughs> Shout out to us. We know exactly what that means. Uh, if you don't, then go back and listen to our Chernobyl, uh, our, our, our review of HBO's Chernobyl. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bill prints the paper. Now, uh, Spencer, uh, question about all that lawyer shit. So I'm going to sure, repeat yeah. it, and you tell me what you think this is. Mm. He writes down the name of the legal office, mm-hmm. the intermediary, and the person outside the firm they've been using as a firewall to deal with the blowback of the NDAs. Fire away. Uh, I can only speculate based on what they're saying, but my guess is, and this is based on information we find out later as to what these NDAs are for, but I would assume that these NDAs and probably the settlement agreements were signed through a third-party company that was set up, uh, probably a shell holding company, to be responsible for these settlements, that the only assets they had was the actual settlement proceeds that they paid, so that it would deflect any potential blowback or breach or any disclosure that would happen in the future that came out with respect to these settlements and non-disclosures. That's my best guess as to how they did this so that they could avoid any potential risk to the company and potential media exposure. And if so, that's a shell way of doing it that would work for a time, but as clearly laying out here that is a temporary solution that is already starting to leak yeah and i would have think with a public company like this eventually they could figure out the paper trail uh, and figure out okay well this is just a shell company the settlement money is coming from some you know subsidiary or whatever race our boycott so i don't know well if if they're already you know hiding these l the literally hiding murders there's probably no limit to the, to the degree to which they're willing to hide information from the SEC. So, perfectly possible that these were set up without any disclosure to shareholders or reporting agencies, uh, and that creates its own series of problems going forward, too. Uh, cut to Kendall's office. Uh, Roman storms in. Angry that Logan rehired Frank to babysit me. Um, Rogan, Lo, uh, Roman asks if Logan can even do that with Kendall as CEO. Kendall, <laughs> it's, it's a question. <laughs> Shit in the bed here again. Kendall tells Roman he's doing a good job. Roman seems to like getting that compliment. And it's interesting when you have these tender moments between these two, because they're not the closest of brothers <laughs> by any stretch. Mm-hmm. But you can tell that Roman does in his weird, twisted, freaky way, look up to Kendall. And when Kendall gives him a genuine compliment, he appreciates it. And I was almost caught off guard that how much Roman clearly did appreciate that. Because it's a very offhand comment by Kendall that, you know, hey, you're doing a good job. But Roman looks legitimately touched in a way I don't think we've ever seen him on the course of this show when he says that. No, and Roman asks if he can help with the speech for the Sad Sack Wasp Trap. Spencer, do you know what Sad Sack Wasp Trap is in reference to? I'm assuming it's in reference to Retney. It is. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I, I don't know when, I, I kind of pieced this together through the episode. Mm-hmm. If you just watched it once and you're just following with us because you're a good loyal listener, you probably didn't figure out what this reference is. It's Logan termed this, uh, termed this, this phrase and it's sad sack, which is, it's a benefit in part to help sick kids. <laughs> 
So sad sex. <laughs> Starting um, great. Wasp trap because the people who come to it are, are just the worst. They're just yeah. wasp who are just coming to deal with the sad sex. So that's mm-hmm. the phrase. Really, really. Um, yeah, it seems like Logan is really interested in the in the Reckney mission here. <laughs> uh, Kendall's being so weird about this speech. You mentioned he's doing a joke and Roman laughs. Uh, yet again, we see that uh, Roman asks who he's taking. Uh, he says no one, but he would like to take an anchor from ATM's news division, but he can't because he's her boss. Gonna establish something right here. Listeners of our podcast probably know I am a boss of some people. Um, obviously, it's very different, but I think the principle stays the same. Yeah, you can't. You really can't ask Mm-mm. this woman to go to this thing with you when you are her supervisor. Or you're her superior in some way. This is even compounded, not just her supervisor. It's a guy who basically runs a company. Yeah, I mean, not just from even just an employee relations standpoint, because it's obviously something you never want to have that imbalance of power between a boss and an employee. It's also just a practical consent issue, too. For he's in a position of authority about her. He could threaten her job to any degree which she disappoints him. She can never effectively give consent in that kind of situation. So there are any number of both internal corporate ethic and also just practical moral issues that are at play here. There should be clear warning signs that, to Kendall's credit, he immediately picks up. However, Roman's there to provide advice. Oh, come on. What a pathetic beta cuck. <laughs> this uh, advice uh, brought to you by uh, Roman. Uh, excuse me. Uh, would it be cool because I have uh, something secret in my pants? Would it be cool to show or is that a trigger warning? And then Kendall hits back, Jesus, Roman, you're a walking fucking lawsuit. Kendall's <laughs> no. line of the episode. Great <laughs> Yeah, line. that was a good one. Uh, Roman follows up, um, no, I'm honest. I'm honest. I, I just like, hey, I like your face. I'm going to fuck your face. Can I come on your face? That's why I'm drowning in pussy over here and you aren't even fucking your wife. Whoa. My line of the episode. My Whoa. line of the episode. Well, of course it is. You work blue, which, by the way, I should have gotten you to do that one. I, I, I was surprised. I was so proud of you. I'm enjoying my, I'm really enjoying my Roman impersonation, so I'm trying to work it in in any way. It's good. It's very good. Uh, thank you. I, I, but when we do these review pods, I try to pick up at least one impression I can do. So Roman is my guy. Uh, but Roman is completely full of shit here, because what we know from the beginning of the episode is Roman is not really doing anything physical with his girlfriend. They, they, they don't even seem to be able to, like, share, like, a, just a an intimate moment where you just like kiss each other <laughs> so for him to be beaten up on kindle for him and rava not you know getting it down is, is pretty hypocritical it is i mean it's they can't you say can't share an intimate moment they can't share a bathroom <laughs> <laughs> they can't be next to each other in a bathroom that's the level of separation and intimacy that's going on right there but what i love about this line is it's one of the few times in the course of the entire episode, or in general, we see Roman briefly get introspective of where he says this and immediately goes, oh, too far. <laughs> Even he realizes that that was just too plain mean. It was very mean. And can we talk about the reason that the start of this conversation was Kendall giving Roman a compliment. Like yeah. these two, their relationship is so precarious. It can go off the rails at any point. Oh, yeah. It does not take much for them to just go straight off a cliff. Uh, cut to Tom. He's on the floor of his desk. Um, he's doing a little sleuthing around, looking at the documents, starting to freak out. So whatever uh, Bill told him, which you referenced to earlier, which is some cover-ups of things that happened on the uh, Waystar cruise lines, uh, he's starting to figure out. Cut to Logan, who's in rehab. He asked for a personal update because uh, Caroline is there, and she informs him that a piece was published about his health. She tries to downplay this, but Logan you know, says, no, you need to tell me. And the piece apparently states that Kendall's given the address at the Reckney Ball, which is a sign that Logan is, quote, winding down his public duties. 
And Logan takes that about as well as you would think. Mm-hmm. Um, he asks who gave it to him. She doesn't know. He says, he tells Carolina, go find out or quote, find another prick to pay you a million a year, which is interesting that we get a little bit of a uh, insight into what some of these people are making. Everybody's making a lot of money. If Carolina, she's pretty low on the totem pole. If she's making a million a year, I can't imagine what like Jerry is making or Frank is making. It just shows that, you know, you and I do well for ourselves, but we are just so far outside that particular sphere of wealth that we just had no concept of it. I was just thinking, okay, she does well for herself. She probably makes, you know, a few hundred thousand a year better, way better than me, but very comfortable for a New York and a living. I never would have imagined that the assistant to the assistant's making a million a year. But hell, if I had an opportunity for that, the amount of shit I would put up from Logan is pretty damn high. Yeah, I would too. I think I still think Carolina has a pretty good existence here, even though Logan's being a bit of a dick to her. Uh, cut to the limo with Connor and Logan, and Logan is stewing. He doesn't like this idea that he's winding down public duties. I think he says, I'm winding up. Um, Connor, then they have a kind of a sweet moment. Connor recalls going to the Reckney Ball as a youth and then pitches the idea of him taking over the foundation for, the, for a while. Mm-hmm. With the idea of pivoting away from sick kids and contemporary dance to tax reform. <laughs> what? And of course, that's such a crazy thing to say. Logan's not buying it. And he just says, let's see how tonight goes. And he says this, and as you said, this is a really interesting, almost kind of like bonding moment for them. We've never seen Logan have a legitimate, sweet, nostalgic remembering moment with one of his children. But he actually has one here with Connor for a second. Of where they think about, you know, the prior dinners they used to throw and how much their mom enjoyed them and how much they made fun of all the sycophants and corrupt people that would come before them to do it. But they legitimately share a laugh and a fond memory together. And I... I wasn't sure Logan had this in him to do this as one of his children, but I kind of, I think it really does set out that Connor is being by far away the oldest child, maybe old enough that there was a, he was even born before Logan's wealth really came to be. Um, they may have a certain element of a unique relationship, even though Connor's really put himself as kind of an outsider to the family group. Well, I think that Connor did come along when Logan was, was still pretty wealthy because he was going to the Reckney Ball as a youth and the Reckney Ball is Logan's charity. So, I mean, uh, here's a practical question. Logan is self-made, right? The, the he did yeah, not no. come from wealth. <laughs> I'm willing to spoil that. Yes, I don't think that that messes. We find out later that for sure. Yeah, but it does not at all remotely affect any plot point. It's okay that you know that now. Trust me. I think they, they mentioned that kind of briefly in his obituary, so I figured it was probably accurate. So yeah, I mean, even if Connor came back during a period in wealth, it was still probably early enough on his career that it may not have been the world-controlling heights that he is at now. Yeah, and I will tell you this, we're starting to hit on one of my hypotheses about the show. And that is, <clears throat> I think a simple read of this show is that Logan's a bad dad. But my theory here is that I think the kids actually are bad kids. Because <laughs> if you meet Logan where he's at, you can have these tender moments with him. Mm-hmm. And you can be, like, he, 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 he will help you, he'll support you. But he's kind of prickly and he's set in his ways and you got to meet him where he's at. And none of the kids are willing to do that. They always try to meet him somewhere different. And Connor does that here. As soon as you have a tender moment, he pushes the issue and says, I want to take over the foundation. Like, there, of course, Logan mentally checks out. Yeah. And it's one of those things of where everyone's always come to coming to him with their own motivations, their own hidden goals, their own desire to benefit themselves to screwing over you. The people that he sees legitimately just try hard and do well, we've seen him respond to in the past. So... He's never, I don't think anyone would ever go so far as to say he is a good person. Uh, he is a horrible person, but there are ways of working him that doesn't seem like his kids really fully understand or get, or at least are just in a self-absorbed position that they can't fully appreciate. 
I just think I could deal with this guy as my dad. I really do. I think I could. I can handle this. I you know, I just can't imagine you as part of this family. You'd be such a damn outsider compared to the rest of these fuckups. That's the nicest thing you've ever said to me. I'm here uh, for you, man. Cut to, cut to ATN and Shib is there trying to throw her, her weight slash name around uh, with Ava to get them to stop running reporting on Anusgate. And Ava basically <laughs> tells her fuck off. Yeah, Anusgate. Now, let me tell you something here. We got a brief sort of just quick detail about how fucking ruthless ATN is a network. So you have the senatorial candidate, her husband posts a picture of his asshole on something called Filthy Rich. They ran a segment at the very top of an hour. So it's like the, the, the premier segment on how to keep your man happy in bed. Oh, oh, damn. Woo. That is just brutal. That is really tough. Um, Ava cuts the meeting short. She clearly is not having this. Now, to, to be fair to the politician's point earlier, that one is a very gendered attack. That was very much an attack on this female candidate on the fact that she is a woman. But that was AT and choosing to do it that way. Other people could have run with this for a variety of other reasons. How to keep your man happy in bed. Oh my God, that's ruthless. Uh, Kendall's having a meeting. He ends it. Tom comes in and he starts to bring up the issue that I guess he's discovered that Bill told him. And Kendall says, you know, my dad always loved all of his employees. But you know the ones he liked the most were the ones that shoveled shit for him and he didn't even know it. <laughs> That's really probably the philosophy that, Roy, that this company runs by, you think? Yeah, and I mean, that's not necessarily in and of itself a bad policy when you yeah. are, are, you're as up, you're as high as Logan is, but it requires the people under you who you have 100% faith can make the decision on what can be shoveled and goes away. And what, if you shovel, will absolutely come back and kill you. And are 100% willing to keep it secret and themselves potentially take the blame. This is, a, as corrupt as this organization appear, appears, that suggests a level of loyalty that I wouldn't have thought was there. A, a level of competence, too. Yeah, but as you said, it, it is something that managers and bosses depend on. That you know, any manager or boss is going to rely on their employees to do their job without constant direction to make it happen. So, it is in a very corrupt way this is playing out. But that is how any corporation has to run, and that's why you have to have a culture. Now, this is a management podcast, but you have to have a culture where you know you don't reward people for hiding things from you that you actually need to know about. And this is something that like. Logan probably knows about, who knows, but Kendall needs to know about. Kendall, on the other hand, though, is more concerned about the comedy he's going to put in his speech. <laughs> he's doing jokes. Mm -hmm. uh, we find out that Stewie is there and Kendall meets him and Logan walks into the meeting, obviously. Um, you know, that wasn't planned. Logan says he wants to buy something called Ophelite. Do we know what this is at all? Other than Yeah, the... we find out. We, we, we know it's related to data mining, but that's kind of it, right? Yeah, I think it's just one of these, like, generic, like, and that's, like, I'll get, uh, let me, let me do the recap. Yeah, uh, Kendall's a bit resistant. He pushes back. Logan says he wants them to get into data mining. And Kendall says it's tough sector, a gold rush. Logan, yeah, who wants gold? <laughs> Great line from Logan right but there. But I, I mean, I mean, obviously, like, Kendall can't do the tete-a-tete -tete with, with Logan. He's going to lose that, that verbal sparring, even with Logan half stroked out. But he probably is making a good point here, because there's so many of these, like, weird offshore data mining companies that like are just they're just 
mining shit that's not going to be necessarily helpful to your business. And they sometimes they'll lie about things. It's not necessarily regulated industry. So I can see why Kindle pushes back here. And it all fits the narrative that Logan is just kind of being impulsive. He, he just wants to buy weird shit. Mm-hmm. Throughout the conversation, Logan, uh, Kindle is very clearly trying to make Logan look bad or look incompetent to Stewie. Yeah. Like pointing out that he's being sexist or constantly commenting on his health. He's trying to undermine him. But he really, as you said, is just utterly unable to go on any equal terms with Logan. And it plays out clearly here. Yeah, Logan then mumbles something unintelligible. He says, are you okay? And Logan says, I just have to go piss. Then Stewie gets to the point. He's basically, here's why I'm here. Who's in charge? Kendall says, he is legally and technically. I'm not quite sure that's true. Logan walks into Kendall's office and takes a piss. Question for you, Spencer. Is he being vindictive here? Like, I'm just going to piss in this kid's office because he just tried to undermine me in this meeting? Or is he literally just confused? Having now seen episode five, I don't know. I'm still kind of favoring being, being, being vindictive. But now I've seen a lot of things that really do suggest as much as he rises to the occasion in this episode, he's still really off. Um, I, it's interesting because when we first talked about this, you said you thought he was being vindictive on your first watch. And I, on my first watch, thought he was confused. Mm-hmm. I, um, I, I'm still going with vindictive here. It still seems targeted to me, but it's a closer call than I thought it was, having watched more of the show now. Yeah, cut to Tom. He seems Greg. Uh, mumbles from the fuck off. House words <laughs> of the Roys. As we see later, Tom is very much part of the family uh, and... With these words, we no longer need Logan to announce it officially. It was clear. He then thinks better of telling Greg to fuck off, and he asks him to come to his office. This is possibly the meanest thing that anybody does in this show ever. I mean, this is... I, I, like, I was watching this like, I cannot believe Tom is doing this, the poor kid. I mean, this kid is like, what, third day of work or some shit? Like, and he's not qualified for anything. He got fired from the parks department for getting high and vomiting <laughs> through the eyelids of the fucking costume he was wearing. Mm-hmm. And he's third day here as some sort of weird intern tom pulls him in and shows him these super secret documents that bill gave him uh, shockingly greg can't really pick up what's going on and tom then goes on to explain it to him he said well there's a company policy that if an incident occurred they wouldn't go back to the u.s they would go to a friendly foreign port great question here by greg incidents like from tom rape sexual assaults murder oh okay the worst ones <laughs> <laughs> greg's with you greg's keeping up uh, Tom explains the head of the division, uh, Lester, uh, used to only extend the dancers on the ship um, who would do him sexual favors. Oh, that's not good. Yeah, so, the, I mean, you, you know, you, you, you're a lawyer, man. You're a man of the law. This doesn't look good, does it? No, no, no. This is a death pit, as they call it in the course of this episode. This is as, <laughs> this is a mess of, of just lot. All of these are resolved from a legal standpoint. There have been settlements. There have been... Any potential future liability probably wrapped up by very competent attorneys. But in the court of public opinion, this is a bomb that's waiting to blow at any given time and any breach of any NDA. And as we know, this is a publicly traded company. Yeah. So public opinion really does govern all, ultimately. Logan returns. He reiterates that he wants Ophelite. Tells Kendall to go get him the file, which is a boss move. Now, this this is where you really start to try to figure out, is this vindictive or he's just confused? Because if you go down the, the, the rabbit hole that, okay, well, he was just confused. That's why he went in there and took a piss in the office. Then maybe he just didn't even recognize he was in Kendall's office. And so the request to go get the file is like a genuine one. If you're going down the path that this was vindictive, this is a real boss move. Because he was yeah. just in your office 
pissing on the floor. Didn't bother to get the folder and then told you to go back in there and get it. Yeah, and th- this is a key part of the reason why I think this was vindictive because this is, I want you to go to the office and I want you to see what I did. I want to demonstrate to you how insignificant you are in the running of these things. Yep. But clearly he wanted to get a little time with Stewie. Yeah, and he gets it. Yeah, Kendall goes in. He notices there's piss on the floor. I'm not quite sure why Kendall has to put his finger on it and then smell it. And then when he smelled it, it was like, like he was like he smelled rotting flesh. Like it's urine, dude. Yeah, you could have told that from the or, the aroma that is now wafting through the entire room. You or even not, if you, you do that, even if you do that, you put down, you put your finger on the urine, and you smell it. His, I felt like it was an overreaction from him. Yeah. Like it was like, like okay, it's urine. Like I don't know. I mean, um, there is a certain level of just sheer shock here. It's just like he cannot conceptualize that it's even possible this is urine. Yeah, so he he figures that out. He asks uh, somebody who was sitting outside who's been in there. They explain, well, Logan was in here. Uh, Kendall then comes back in with the file, and Logan and Stewie are laughing. Logan says, well, I think we're going to buy Ophelot anyway. And what do you think, Stewie? Stewie says, you're the boss. Bum, bum, bum. Cutting to Kendall. Uh, Logan then announces, he is, in fact, going to the Wreck Me Ball. I'm paying for the thing. I might as well go to it. Cut to Kendall. Um, he's got Jerry, Roman, and Frank in his office to discuss the P incident. Mm-hmm. Um, are you sure it was him? <laughs> um, <laughs> is a question that's posed to Kendall. Kendall, very fair point. You think a lot of people come in here and take a piss on the floor? Uh, Roman then asking the real questions. The truth are here. Wait, this isn't a false flag, is it? Do you piss on your own floor? <laughs> fair question, Roman. Thank you for asking. Kendall does at least project uh, legitimate concern here and announces that Logan is going to the wreck me ball, which has everyone concerned. Uh, Logan, another another great question here. Or, uh, sorry, uh, Kendall, another great question here. What if he falls asleep in his soup? What if he starts shouting racist comments <laughs> from, from Roman? Just another Saturday night, baby. <laughs> um, and, you know, as per usual, uh, remind me here, but doesn't Kendall again turn to Jerry to fix this, essentially? Yeah, he does. Uh, Kendall basically is telling everyone they need to do something. Um, telling Jerry, we need to do something. Uh, and Jerry said, okay, all right, well, that's fair. Uh, what did you do when you found out he pissed on the floor? Mm-hmm. Um, and Kendall kind of stops, takes a beat. And he says, well, nothing. I didn't want to embarrass him. And Jerry gives a look to him like, well, no shit, dude. We don't either. Like, <laughs> we're all struggling with this. And, and that goes back to the very first scene of the episode where it becomes very clear that Logan has not been in ill health. He's still a very proud man. And this is all new territory for them, having to like treat him with kid gloves and be worried that he's going to embarrass himself. Like, you know, that's that's not it's not an easy position for them, considering what Logan has been their entire professional career and for yeah. the kids, their personal life. Too. And we really do see in the next scene. And it's a brief scene, but we see brief, uh, we see Kendall with uh, Marsha and his doctor of where the doctor's giving him an injection of something that he's gotten like already several times this month in a way that could cause permanent nerve damage. But yeah. it's in some way necessary for him to keep going at the level that he's doing. Yeah, well, we, you know, love doing the pod with you. Maybe not the best note person because this is not the next scene. No? What is what's next? <laughs> we got the Tom and Shib getting ready. Um, and Tom is not telling Shib about his current issue. He's, like, trying to, like, tell her but not tell her. He's, he's certainly not giving her the Greg treatment. Uh, and he comes up with this plan, which is a fucking doozy. He's going to hold a press conference of all the top execs and the law guys in an effort to get out in front of it. No, no, you're not, Tom. 
Shib is not listening, but she really, really should have been. I mean, Shib is not listening at all. She's barely even doing, uh-huh, yeah, honey, yeah, sure, yeah, that sounds great. She is in her own little world as Tom is essentially saying, I'm going to, in a burst of just honesty, bring down the company. Does this sound good? No, it's not. Um, <laughs> no, it's not at all. And I'm looking at my notes here. Spencer, did you did you just bait me into... Did I just get owned here? Did you, Were you right? That was the next scene? Uh, that was totally the next scene, but I was just going to let that pass. But if you'd like to own yourself now, go ahead. No, you should always hit me for that. because you, 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 I, I beat you up on the notes enough. No, you're right. I don't know why I missed that scene. But yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Uh, I, hand up, hand up. Apologies for me. Um, Logan does get a, um, I think it's like a third shot. He's only supposed to have three in a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marsha clearly is okay with this. I mean, she's of the position that he's got to go to this ball. He has got to show everybody that he's okay at whatever cost. And this is not the first time and not the last time we've seen the course of this episode that Marsha is very much pushing Logan in this direction. That he needs to be there. You have to be there. Whatever is necessary for you to be there will come to pass. And we see the reason for that play out later. But it's really interesting to see how much she's the direct driving force for this happening over the course of this episode. And also, general philosophy, I like to earn my own points. I don't need alley-oops from you. Thank you. Oh, gosh. Aggressive move there. What was that? Is that the third drink talking? Uh, you know, we may be on to a fourth now. I'm also tired. So between those, there may be some slurring Logan style before we're done. <laughs> no, you were right, though. Sorry about that. Uh, we cut to the right knee ball. Logan's getting out of an SUV in the back. Uh, Logan gets in a wheelchair, uh, and he tells Marsha in a, a very rare moment of um, uh, of being vulnerable. He says he doesn't think he can do this. Marsha has a great quote here. Yes, you can. Valle and fuck them. So you know what Valle means? Uh, I'm assuming, I mean, I know Spanish. I don't know, uh, I would assume it's probably French, probably, but yeah. I'm assuming it means go for go. Keep going. Yeah, it's a, it's a, like a French like phrase, like like sally forth, like mm-hmm. valle, push forward. Mm-hmm. Um, then we go to Connor, who's freaking out because the forks need to be placed thusly, Spencer. <laughs> thusly. Yeah. And, now, and you know what? I'm going to point this out. Connor's right. I was going to ask, you were previously in catering at a certain different life in your career. Uh, is this indeed as much of a faux pas as Connor makes it out to be? It, I, I mean, look, first of all, I did catering in Greenville, North Carolina. So, you know, high I mean, class it, you know, territory. I mean, I'm you coming could, to you for expert advice. Come on. The, the fact that there's a second fork on the table is a big deal in that part of the country. But I do know, not from that, but from going to some weddings that were way over my head, that that's the right way. You, you, you align the, the utensils at the base, not the top. And that's because it's very clear that when you turn and look, you can very quickly ascertain what is the right fork and what is not. Okay. But I, I mean, this is not the, the, uh, there are several times over the course of this episode where we see Connor massively overreact to things, but I don't think he's ever wrong. The things that he's calling out are legitimate mistakes. It's just, he's invested so much into this being his one way to get into Logan's good grace, his one way to whatever his future plan is. That he just takes even the slightest degree of error as a personal affront to his being. And that's a really good point because Connor is nuts, obviously. Uh, but you're you're right. He pitches a perfect game. Everything he says is right here. And, and the fork issue, I mean, he shouldn't be screaming, the forks need to be placed thusly. But I do think it would have been a fair thing to say, oh, okay, actually we need to move the forks down a little bit. Can somebody just deal with that? Right. That would have been the responsible behavior of a competent, experienced manager. Nothing of which Connor is. But no. 
we're seeing play out that he's not dumb, that he does he clearly does know what needs to occur and has a good sense of it. He just has no sense of perspective on anything. He's been to a lot of fancy dinners. Uh, he then employs Wyla uh, to help move people from one side of the room. Now, that's another thing I'm, I'm sympathetic Good with Connor. Good call. How many times have you been at a party and been like, why are we all in this one corner when yeah. this big old room is here? Like, And they, they actually are successful in moving people, getting people to kind of circulate in this space. <laughs> Credit to Wyla again that she's willing to just put up with this and help organize with them. But yes, you said, they do a wonderful job warning people to otherwise balance out the room. Don't give too much credit to Wyla. We'll, we'll address that in the next episode. Yeah, I'm waiting till then. And apparently the signature cocktail has pesto in it. Now, this is this sounds Ex- like a... Explain. Explain this, to me now. Well, I, I have no idea why there would be pesto in a signature cocktail. Get Sarah on the phone. She we can do. explain these cocktails to me. <laughs> this, is, this sounds like a, like a Sarah special here on the Mangum Reads signature cocktail segment. Because um, that sounds gross. Um, what would you mix that with? What balances out pesto in a cocktail? I don't know, like a good rigatoni? <laughs> good line, sir. Yes. <laughs> Sounds, uh, so he got, got the Kindle, and he, in fact, did take the anchor from ATM. <sighs> for shame, Kindle. Oh. This is a bad move. Uh, and he's, like, shout out to Kendall. He is being reasonable when he's talking to her. And he is not presenting as the type of guy who is, like, has her there to force her to do anything. He's actually just trying to talk to her. Because, um, you know, Kendall, for all his faults, um, screws up all the time. I mm-hmm. mean, big shit to bed guy, right? Like, he's terrible. But he is nice to women. Have you noticed this? Like, he, we don't have any evidence thus far. And, and, and I, I, I don't, you know, he, he seems good to women. Kendall's a weird person of where he is colossally self-absorbed. He's a warped person who's utterly insufferable at times. And I feel weird saying this, but I think he's probably the most moral and best member of this family, at least of the immediate Roy's. Yeah, and he left Coke on his kid's iPad once. So there you go. You know, it's a low bar. It is legitimately a low bar. I didn't think the bar was quite Coke on iPad. I, 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 did I know that? <laughs> um, um, but I still, I still, I stick to that line. That there are several times that we really see that Kendall is legitimately trying to be a good person, even maybe just even instinctually is, and he's taking this as that she agreed to come out with me, and I want to have this as an equal fun date, and that's it seems to be your perspective throughout all of this. He sucks at picking up social cues as to the reason that she's incredibly uncomfortable with the situation, mm. but. Again, we'll see more going forward. But I, I agree with your, your statement that Kendall surprises me at times that he is a legitimately, well, not necessarily a good person, but the best of the bad bunch. He, he does seem to be pretty pretty good to folks that he doesn't have to be good to. Yeah. Uh, even though the man, I mean, my God, he has ketchup on burritos. Um, we start there. We start there, and there's only so far you can get away from that point. Cut to Connor, and he's checking out everyone's speech, and he sees something in Kendall's speech about announcing Logan's retirement, which he obviously flags. Cut to Tom, who is torturing Greg. Um, he asks if Greg is sitting out by the dumpster, and then pitches the idea of Greg seducing an older lady so that she can keep him as a pet out in Westchester. <laughs> he apparently takes him at his word on this one. Uh, yeah, and then Tom is approached by Jerry, who's heard about his little press conference. Bum, bum, bum. Predictably, Jerry is not pleased about this. Uh, Tom starts to try to explain it to himself. Um, and Jerry has a series of lines here that gives us a window into Jerry's psyche, which I find fascinating. 
Tom, you need to shut up. This isn't the time for you to get your conscience out and shout, hey, look at me. I cannot tell a lie. I'm a good little boy. Look at my ding dong. Catches Tom really off guard with that one. <laughs> and she tells this very strange story about uh, a cake eater. Sin cake eater. Apparently this is some sort of like folktale or something. Or maybe she's made it up. He came around to all the funerals, eating up the cakes on all of the dead people, eating their sins. And did this until he died and the next cake eater came along and it all worked out. And she ends with, so this may not be the best situation, but there are harder jobs and you get a fuckload of cake. And again, we talked about, this is a fascinating scene. Like you said, it gives us an insight in Jerry's character I wouldn't imagine. And that insight is, this character has a lot more in common with Roman than I ever would have thought. She does. She's, I, I, and we, you know, I... I think this might be the same writer because it's just batshit crazy lines because then Tom is like, no, I need you to tell me how you heard about this. This is important because he's only really told two people about the press conference idea, Greg and Shib. And she responds, Tom, this may not be the best time to tell you, but I'm in a sexual relationship with your mother. She talks in her sleep. Oh, these are lines we almost expect to hear from Roman and they're coming out of a character that just never would have expected this from. And it, it's a real interesting demonstration of her sense of humor that has previously been suppressed on the show. She's been the one disciplined person in this room. But she's talking honestly with Tom, a person who is no threat to her, who is just so far below her that she can barely see him. We see probably a bit of what may be her true character when she's not having to wear the work face. And it's just funny. It's hilarious. We cut to Connor, who walks over to Logan. He says, hey, did you know Kendall's going to announce your retirement? And Logan's like, Logan's like, well, fuck no, I didn't. Um... And he says, you know what? There's a change of plans. Kendall isn't speaking. I'm speaking. Um, Marsha unsuccessfully attempts to spread frozen butter on a roll, and Connor takes off in a fit. And goes right to the kitchen and proceeds to deliver a speech that is just designed to inspire the trips. Yeah. <laughs> he, uh, the caterer tries to calm him down. He says she's complacent, that they're all fired, and he storms off. And she's doing this thing. That if you ever, if you ever middle management and you have a crazy person ahead of you, like you have to do that buffering to the, the staff. She's like looking at him like, no, it's not true. We're not really fired. You have to keep going. <laughs> just the kind of, it, it, it's it's the hand gestures even. Just the kind of pushing down hand gestures. It's fine. It's fine. Everything is good. That just that open hand pushing down is just so that moment. Tom pulls Greg aside and accuses him of telling Jerry about his press conference. Spencer, did you believe Greg here? Because Greg is, to me, very convincing. I, that he did not tell Jerry about this. 100%. I had not a doubt in my mind that Greg was telling the truth here. It never would have even occurred to me to think that Greg was lying based on what we saw. And I'm legitimately impressed with Greg as a result. Yeah. Uh, I, Tom stops and then he remembers that he told Shib, gives her a look, very not trusting look, and it's indicative of the level of trust between these two. I mean, I don't think uh, anybody's going to say that Tom and Shib have a particularly good relationship. Cut to Roman, who's asking Logan about Frank. <laughs> Roman really does not like Frank. Mm -hmm. And Logan basically says, Roman needs to learn from Frank and stop being petty. Connor comes by, quickly apologizes for the butter. Very funny moment here, because Logan then looks at Marsha and says, there's a problem with the butter. And Marsha gives this knowing look and says, it's frozen. And now this goes back to my theory that Marsha would normally be doing this instead of Connor, that she planned she saw the butter was this is my theory she saw the butter was frozen waited till connor was there and then really made a show of trying to get it onto that roll yeah 
send just a message. Little, little flex, little, little flex on yeah. Connor, letting him know, I, I could have done this a little better than you. Yeah. And again, this is a legitimate problem. This is a very much basic mistake. Any person that's running a restaurant knows that the butter's got to be brought to at least room temperature before you put it out. Maybe even nuke it a little bit. This is dumb that they got this wrong. But Connor's reaction just shows his relative degree of inexperience, immaturity, and outright batshit insanity. Yeah, you do have to nuke it. It's it's eight to ten seconds in the in the um, in the microwave, and then you're good to go. Mm-hmm. It, it is again restaurant 101. Any of these things that Connor's raising are legitimate problems. They need to get better. He just has no sense of tact or perspective. Roman catches a waiter chatting up his girlfriend, Grace. Oh, my gosh. Uh, this is, man, Roman is very uncomfortable. So he, he sees what's happening here. He quickly picks it up. Doesn't seem to have much of a problem with it, but then insists that the guys stay around and keep pouring him wine, which he is guzzling at a, a heck of a rate. Um, and, the, you know, and then addresses the elephant in the room. and says, well, did, you, did you like her? Did you want to talk to her? Did you, did you want her number? And this poor kid is just frozen. And he keeps pushing. No, do you, did you want her number? Finally, the kid says yes. He looks at his girlfriend, Grace. Did you want to give him your number? She says, yes. He says, oh, let's do this. And he has Grace give him uh, her number. And he, when she starts writing it, he looks up and goes, well, that's actually her number too. Good job. And then before the guy can leave, he makes him finish out the bottle, pouring it into Roman's glass, and the guy takes off. What a very weird scene. What do we make of this? I mean, I we see more coming forward before this episode is done, but I still don't get them at all. I, I I don't know, Spencer. I don't work blue enough to even try to explain how it happened here. But I think that it's um it's a realm of language required that you're just not capable of on live recording. I think Roman might be a little bit of a cuck. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Um, cut to Kendall, who is uh, chatting people up. Uh, Ship comes by and drops this line: "Nice work, bro. Fucking the talent. You're fucking ATN. ATN's fucking me. It's a clusterfuck." <laughs> so people are noticing that he he did take an ATN employee. Mm-hmm. Connor tells Kendall that Logan is going to give the speech. He asked Jerry to talk to him. <laughs> Jerry's so, she's the MVP, man. She's so funny to me. She goes, okay, okay. Walks over. Hey, Logan, how you doing? I'm doing good. Okay, I think you're going to do great. And Logan seems like really happy that Jerry came by and gave him that little bit of a confidence boost. Mm-hmm. And then she walks over, or walks away, looks at Kendall and kind of shrugs her shoulders like, well, I did the best I could. <laughs> Expertly done. We, we, it's, this is such a such a wonderful character, and we're really seeing probably how she successfully rose in this company, where she's convinced everyone that she's on their side, and she plays yep. them expertly. Yeah, that's a great point. Like, who? She has not made a single enemy. No, and everyone is convinced that she is has their back, that she's the important person that they always have to have on their side in the room. That is a wonderful position to be in. And Jesus, Jerry is the Spencer. No. No, That's amazing. no, no, I've got enemies. <laughs> I've got people that don't, I, I, you're just making things up right now. I don't know, train. Spencer. I don't know. It damn. sounds like maybe you're a little bit of a Jerry. Um, damn, damn your eyes. <laughs> Connor goes uh, in the back and he starts talking to one of the dancers who's black and he does this really super awkward. Hey, we're all the same, right? Routine. Nothing, nothing more said about that conversation. It was painful to watch. Dude, that was the most, that was the most uncomfortable part of the episode. And then, and we, this episode included, uh, Logan pissing in Kendall's office. And just all the Logan lines, all the Roman lines that ever exist. But this one took the cake is just, okay, I'm going to pause for a second, breathe, and then move on. Oh, very tough. Uh, it obviously didn't work and the dancer goes out and this is the contemporary dance component. Which is weird. Which is yeah, very strange. Very weird. 
It's a weird combination, right? Sick kids and contemporary dance. I don't know how they, how Logan quite what? got to that. Sick kids, contemporary dance, and wasps. What? What are you doing? Why? <laughs> Connor gets a compliment, completely changes his tune, goes in the back to celebrate with the caterers. God, what an erratic manager this guy is. <laughs> uh, Logan gets introduced, um, and Marsha helps him to the stage. Very, like, a very FDR scene here, right? It, 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 again, we're take, we're just copying up each other's notes, same wavelength. But this it directly reminded me of FDR, of where for years no one, broader part of the American public, did not realize that he was handicapped because, in part, so many times he'd have his sons there close to him, helping prop him up, helping it appear that he was walking, so as to create the impression that he was in better physical capability than he actually was. And Logan's very much doing that right now with Marsha. And I love that Marsha has planned it out to make it look natural. For Stephen telling him, you just have to go a bit farther and Bill will take your hand. And then Bill, who she's clearly worked with, stands up from his table and comes over to talk to him and shake his hand. And again, walk with him a little bit. It's expertly set up so that it looks natural. And again, just shows how much in command of the room she is. Yeah. Uh, and it works. He gets up to this. Uh, he gets up to the stage. But during the process, Stewie turns to Kendall and says, "If he falls, I'm going to lose one of my several houses, and you're going to pay for the next one." <laughs> Stewie is funny. I like Stewie. Yeah. I wouldn't trust him with so much as checking on my pets while I was on vacation. Mm-hmm. But I, I think he's a funny guy. Only Kendall would trust Stewie. Kendall. Um, uh, so yeah, and, and Kendall's watching here. Logan gives a speech. Uh, and he thinks his wife first, which shout out to him. He should be doing because she's really kind of keeping him in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has this great moment where you kind of think, oh, God, I don't know if he's about to go crazy here. He says, why? You know, someone has been taking advantage of my hospitalization to propose to my daughter. <laughs> Welcome to the family, Tom Wansgab. Which is a legitimately great moment. It's a really interesting speech to see played out of where. We hadn't seen this aspect of Logan before, this necessary part of his career, because of course in his position, he's capable of working a room and delivering this kind of speech, but we hadn't seen it before. And we really get to see, we really see in this moment how good at it he is. Yeah, he is extremely good. Um, and he, he does it. it. He does. He explains, he's, he's very charming. Uh, he talks for not very long, but he does end with saying that he is back. He, he even Better than ever. He even throws Kindle an olive branch. Of where he even credits him, particularly naming him individually as a person that was very much responsible for helping us carry through in this moment. It gets a room of applause for him before he stabs him completely. Yep. Then Kendall goes to the ATN anchor. Her name is Anna. And asks why she's giving off such a, such a weird vibe. I was like, is something off here? I'm not feeling good here. Anna explains that her boss, Ava, told her to come. Kendall's like, no, not told. I asked. And she said, well, you're the boss. Kendall says, I'm not that guy. And she's like, yeah, yeah, I know. But, but in this moment, you are, are this guy. Because apparently, Ava told her to make sure Kendall has a really good time. Oh, that's so fucked up. That is so fucked oh. up. Uh, she says she does not want, um, she, uh, Anna, does not want uh, him to tell her boss. And Roman, not having it, um, comes up and, and really does uh, confront the boss about it. Angrily, it looks like. I mean, he's, it looks like he starts yelling at this lady while she's still sitting down before she's even like gotten up from her chair in the middle of a public space. I mean, the party's dying down, but there's people, a lot of people that are around when he's doing this. Yeah. So he, he clearly pissed Kendall off. And this goes back to what we were saying. Kendall's not a bad guy. I think he, he's, he's embarrassed that he took Roman's advice here against his own better judgment. And then he's also pissed off that like his message to her was not, you know, provided it was, it was lost in translation. Right. I mean, 
it's one of those, it's still a very weird thing with Kendall where he clearly doesn't have the mindset of his position yet. He doesn't seem to fully get that he can't be a normal human just interacting with people in the same way that he maybe imagines that he could be or maybe maybe once did in the past. If he's going to be the CEO, that's something that can never leave him. He can never have a normal human interaction with people on the level of an equal playing field again because that's just not part of what he is. And you certainly can't, quote, ask someone mm-hmm. probably 30 levels down from you to go on a date. No, and even if he wanted to do this dumb thing, he still should have done it personally. It's the only way he could even attempt to establish, you know, we are equals going out on a date together and explain that. Sending an an intermediary to do it just makes it even more clear that these are orders from on high. Through her boss. Come on, Kendall. Come on. Now, we're skipping an important scene, I think, here, of where we see, after Logan delivers his speech, Briefly, Kendall and um, Connor talk with him. Oh, yeah. Of where Kendall, Logan basically confronts Kendall that you were going to do this. You were going to basically say that I was stepping down. And Kendall tries to say it was going to be a joke. I believe Kendall here. Do you? Yeah, I do. Um, I don't. Yeah, I think he was going to tell a joke. I I mean, because Kendall, he was flabbergasted here. And he actually has the line at the end where he goes, Dad, why didn't you just talk to me? Which mm-hmm. made me think that Logan, like Kendall really thought this was just a simple misunderstanding. To which, of course, Logan responds, fuck off House and words. storms away. Uh, Boy house words, fuck off. Meanwhile, Connor comes over to gloat. His dad's kind of in a moment of weakness of where he's kind of fallen and he's sitting maybe in a chair or even on the floor. It's not clear. Um, he's, on a, he's in a chair. He's in a chair, okay. And Connor basically comes over to gloat that, you know, I have conquered this and now only the world is before me. That I've had my Napoleon taking Toulon moment, and now nothing will satisfy me but conquering all. I know, and you can draw a parallel to that conversation with the conversation that um, he had with Logan had with Connor in the car that we talked about earlier, where Logan tries to connect with Connor. He actually says, Hey, you did good tonight. Mm-hmm. But then Connor just goes to an 11 so fast that yeah. Logan's just like, Okay, mm-hmm. you're Napoleon now because you, you ran a dinner? Jesus. Again, I. I didn't pick up enough before this episode just how ambitious Connor actually is. And I just don't know where that ends. And I'll be curious to see where that plays out. Because this is a side of his character I hadn't really seen before. Yeah. Cut to Tom and Shib in the car. Uh, Tom clearly thinks Shib was the leak to Jerry. Cut back to the ball. Jerry says to Greg, good kid, smart move, keep talking. So now we know it wasn't Shib that, that told Jerry about this stupid fucking press conference that Tom had planned. It was, in fact, Greg. Solid move by Greg. My main man, Greg. And this is just a really great move by Greg. I mean, A, point number one, he's also hitting on an old lady at the bar, which is fucking hilarious. Um, And then point number two, of all the people that you would want to go to to say, I'm supporting you and I've got your back and you can count on me to give you accurate information, Jerry. Jesus Christ, Jerry. She's a person that's going to reward you and praise you and make sure you're well kept for for doing this kind of thing if you want to you know pick somebody in this company to be allied with dear god her good kid smart move keep talking yeah cut to roman and his girlfriend the catering guy calls her and i'm gonna let spencer take it away okay uh he called they are in the room the lights are down they're having a bit of a private moment and i would never imagine a certain degree of intimacy between the two based on what i've seen before when a cell phone rings sitting on the bed, they look together, and well, actually Roman looks and sees that, oh, it's probably the waiter that's calling. 
And then a very interesting scene that I'll need to unpack. Um, probably not on air, because that would involve a degree of psychological analysis I'm just not capable of. But uh, they proceed to use this cell phone, which I'm guessing is an older model iPhone, uh, to uh, masturbate her as they begin to initiate an intimate coupling. How dare you steal my joke about it being an earlier version of the iPhone? <laughs> it's your fault for losing data. I get to steal the good jokes. <laughs> oh, yeah. That is, that's true, though, man. That's not the iPhone 10. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> very, very weird scene there. Uh, and you know, I'm just getting more of an insight into Roman's weird, weird head. Uh, Kendall goes home alone and clearly feeling like a piece of shit. I think it's well deserved. He should, he should feel pretty bad about that evening. He should, but again, of all the characters of the course of the series that I just keep feeling bad for, Kendall ranks really high because he legitimately is trying and due to a series of quirky events and also his own incompetence, he keeps failing. And it's painful to watch because he really is trying to do his best in all things, with people, with his work, whatever else. He's just never capable of actually rising to where he needs to be. Yeah, it's very true. Um, final scene in the episode, uh, Logan fell asleep in the car on the way home, and Marsha tells him to keep driving so he can sleep. Uh, Marsha seems very proud of Logan here, which I think she should be. I mean, he he's not well, um, but he did come through in a, in a clutch moment and i think he did exactly what he hoped to do which was reassert that he is or assert that he is okay after this medical incident and reassert that he is leading the company uh and is back in the saddle very well said i that that is a very much what that scene's uh, put trying to put across all right we have our segment the end of the end of the um episode segment that we have we started it on the fly last episode and that is the roman line of the episode do you have a nominee uh as said our brief moment and i'm not going to repeat it because you did so well reading it out previously that i would invite you to read it again if you have it available but the (laughs) moment uh the moment when roman offers a certain degree of commentary on his own success with ladies as compared to kendall's and then has a moment of introspection of thinking that he went too far is just glorious to me because it just gives us an insight to Roman's character that's just delightful. That Yes, there is a line, and Roman is kind of aware of it. And he apparently found it there with a line that is legitimately just mean. Yeah, is there anything else, uh, any other line that you would like to um, talk about? Uh, another line I love is just his Facebook for Cats line. That, that little ranty speech is just delightful just because it, again, just shows that Roman starts off with, I'm going to insult this person, and has no clear plan for where he's going to go with it. It just flows. From whatever deep, dark, terrifyingly twisted place in his consciousness this is coming from, it just comes out like a river and no one's sure where we're going to go on it. Yeah, and that's this line, and it is episode four of Succession, Sad Sack Wasp Trap, Roman line of the episode. You're just scared he's going to push you out and your plans for, you know, Uber for news and Facebook for cats and open plan office. You want a dance platform jerking off idea goop into think boxes. It, I gotta go. It, it's a wonderful line. I fully amazing. endorse your decision. Yeah, I, amazing. Very good line of the episode. Anything you want to talk about with this episode before we wrap up, Spencer Pants? I have a question for you. And this may, I don't yeah. know if this is going to eventually bleed into a, a different segment to do on the show. But with this show about various Roy's other related members jostling for position, a practical question to ask you. Of all the Roys and all the associates that we saw play, uh, do their dance in this episode, which one do you think most improved? Who was the most successful member of the various Roy clan based on what we saw this episode? 
Okay, so let's do uh, Roy of the episode. Roy of the episode. Let's call it that. And it will also include people like Tom or Marsha or uh, Jerry or various people that are so around it. But I think Roy of the episode is a great title for it. Uh, my Roy of the episode is going to be Logan. And I think that's a good choice. Uh, clearly, he did what he needed to do. He rose to the occasion, and he has reasserted himself as the man in control of this company in a way that probably had a very positive effect on their stock price come the stock exchange tomorrow. I'm sure that it did. Yeah, and I, I, it'd be nice if in the next episode we get that information because I, I, I do think it probably helped stabilize the stock price and allayed uh, shareholder fears. But yeah, I think he's got to be the winner. I would say honorable mention... Uh, only because it's a really particularly weak episode for the rest of the Roy's. I'm going to go with Greg. Big, big, smart move by Greg there. Because that actually has bigger implications than just now Greg has a line to Jerry. I think he really saved something bad from happening there. Because Tom really did not need to do that press conference. No, and if Tom even wanted to ponder that press conference, the first person he should have gone to to discuss it was Jerry. But apparently he didn't intend to. No. No, he didn't. Okay, well, there's our segments. Roman line of the episode and Roy of the episode. Well done. All right, anything else you want to cover? No, I think we've gone enough. All right, I have enjoyed this, Spencer. Thank you for doing it with me a second time. I promise I will uh, not lose this audio. This will be out here in a couple of days, and then we'll do episode five. We got a plan. Thanks, Spencer. See you.